Um, how do you think a proper introduction should go? Like, like meeting somebody for the first time, how you introduce yourself, how they introduce, how, how do you think that should, should go? When I was a, a kid, I remember, you know, I got the, I got the boy uh, talking to from dad, this is what you do when you meet somebody for the first time. You know, you, you look the person in the eye, extend your right hand, you give them a, a firm handshake. You know, that's, that's what you do. That's how you greet someone. T- today, when you greet somebody um, for the first time, you, you might get a handshake. Uh, you might get a fist bump. Um, if, you, if you come to church, like, like we know there are certain people at church that demand hugs. And so, you, you know, sometimes you got to do that whether you're uncomfortable or not. <laughs> sometimes they're just those folks. I got to get my got to get my hug in. And, and in the, you know, the COVID world, we, we now have the um, elbow bump thing, which is just kind of kind of weird. But, uh, you know, that's how it is. That's how we do it. That's how we greet. That's how we introduce ourselves. That's uh, really the, the, sometimes the first um, kind of real, get a real sense of somebody from that introduction or that greeting. Well, in this um, series, Out of Darkness, we're talking about how the Israelites came out of 250 years of darkness as slaves in the Egypt, and, and how they learned during that time to follow a God that they, that they really didn't know. You know, I mean, we, we think about it as we look back on the nation of Israel, the people of God, the Hebrew people. We look back on that, and, and for us, it's all kind of rosy. They had this relationship with God, and everything was, was great. But that really isn't the case. And, and for a, about 450 years, from the time Jacob moved down to, to Egypt with his family, the, the people there, the generations, the, the, the people exploded, first of all, exponentially got bigger as a nation. They knew of God, like they knew the stories of their fathers, but they really didn't know God. And, and so, how do you follow out of Egypt and into the wilderness a God that you don't know? And so, God had to take the people on a journey where uh, through that journey, they could learn who he was, how he cared for them, why he loved them, what he expected of them. Like all of these things were built into the Exodus story. And, and honestly, the journey is the same for you and me. How do we step out of the darkness of the slavery of our own sin and into life as a disciple of the Savior? How do we make that transition? How do we move from one place to the next? And, and so this morning, I want to go back to week one for a second and make sure that we're kind of all on the same page, we're all going the same way so that we can move forward together uh, today. So God called Abraham. We go way back to the beginning. We're, we're only in the first few chapters of Exodus, but if we go back to, to Genesis, we read about the call of God to Abraham when he was in his hometown, Ur of the Chaldeans, and God called to him and, and said, leave your family and, and your friends, leave your homestead, leave everything that you've ever known, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. 
And, and Abraham believed. He had faith that God would do what he said he would do. And so he leaves his family. He takes his, his wife. He takes his nephew. And they, they take off and they eventually make it to the promised land. And the promised land for God was um, that area west of the Jordan River, between the Jordan River and the uh, Mediterranean Sea, from um, the Jordan or the Sea of Galilee in the north down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. On the, on the south. So that was the promised land that they were in. So God makes the promise to Abraham. He reinstates the promise to Abraham's son Isaac. Follow me and, 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 and I'll be your God and you can be my people. And then later he reinstates the promise to, J, um, <laughs> to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So while Jacob with his family and all of his possessions are on their way back to the promised land, God meets with Jacob and they wrestle at night and, and Jacob gets his name changed to, to Israel. Now if you know the Bible stories, you know that um, the 11th child of Jacob or Israel is a guy named Joseph and Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt and God is with him while he's there, and he becomes second in command in the nation of, of Egypt. And then a famine hits, right? And, and so Joseph has wisdom and understanding, and so he collects grain and, and uh, all kinds of things to sustain the people of Egypt, as well as others would come. And eventually, Joseph's whole family comes down. Uh, Jacob, his dad, and all of his brothers come down, and they settle in the land of Goshen. It's in the northeast corner of Egypt. And they settle there, and everything is great for about 200 years. Like they're in this great land. It's good for their flocks and herds and all that kind of stuff. They're protected by Egypt. Everything is great. They think this is amazing. This is where God wants us to be because he's blessed us so much. There's so many things um, that are here that are just right, just the way that we want them to be. But after about 200 years... The Egyptian pharaoh begins to cause problems. And he goes to the Egyptian people and he says, hey, we've got these, these Hebrew people over here um, on the only path from the nations on the east of us to get to us. And if our enemies come, the Hebrew people might join with them and then attack us. And it was completely fictitious. He made it up. He was just fear-mongering among the Egyptians. And it was ridiculous. But that's how he got the Egyptian people to hate the Hebrews. He said, they're going to they're come after you. They're going to they're gonna get you. They're going to come in the night, right? They're going to do all these things. There was no indication that they would have done any of that. But, but that's what he told them. And so after about 200 years of everything going great, Egypt forcefully makes Israel... The Hebrew people makes them their slaves. And so for about 250 years, the Israelite pe people suffered under increasingly heavy and inhumane living and working conditions as forced labor slaves in Egypt. Egypt was their savior one day and then their slave master the next. And so the people cry out. Right? They, they, they cry out to Egyptians. They cry out to other people. Help us. We don't know what to do. This is, this is bad. Like, we can't get it. We don't see any way out of this. They cried out in desperation. And nobody could help them except God heard their cry. And that's where we ended, really, about two weeks ago. 
the people crying out because of their suffering. And even though they weren't crying out to God, he heard. And the text really tells us that because of his faithfulness to the promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he responded to the people of Israel. And so enter Moses. The people cry out, God hears, and then we're introduced to this guy named Moses. Now, there's a couple things that we need to know about Moses and his story as we move forward with the, with the timeline of Israel. Pharaoh had commanded that every male child of the Hebrew people be killed. And the way that they were to be killed is that they were to be thrown into the Nile River. Now, the Nile River at the time, it's not anymore really, but at the time it was full of um, crocodiles, Nile crocodile, and uh, hippos, all kinds of horrible, deadly snakes. Brock would love it there. Uh, and uh, creepy looking carnivorous uh, fish called the African tiger fish. Like, look it up, it's crazy looking. Um, and the Nile monitor lizard, it's like a big, big lizard. So, all of these. Like crazy, deadly, awful, have nightmare dreams about them kind of things. All of these things lived in the Nile and around the Nile. So it wasn't a very pleasant way to go. Now Moses' parents didn't want to kill their son. Like They, they loved their child. They didn't want to kill him. And, and so they disobeyed Pharaoh's command. At the, the cost of their lives, they disobeyed Pharaoh's command. Thank you. But after three months, they couldn't do that anymore, right? They, they, Moses was making noise and all kinds of things. They couldn't keep him quiet. And they knew that if they kept him any longer, it wasn't just be his life that would be lost. It would be their lives and, and the lives of their, of their family, their extended family, everybody around them would die because they were breaking the law. So it was a very difficult decision to, to make, but eventually... Um, Eventually, they're like, okay, we, we have to get rid of Moses. There's no way for us to keep him quiet. But Moses' mother didn't um, just give up, right? She, she didn't just, like, she kind of followed the law of, of Pharaoh. She kind of did what she was supposed to do, um, but, but not really. <laughs> um, she did just enough, but not really everything. So Moses' mother that refuses to just give up, so she makes this basket and she covers it with, with pitch, she makes it waterproof, she puts Moses in the basket, and she does put him in the Nile, but she's protected him the very best that she possibly could. And in desperation and, and hope, she gives her son Moses every possible opportunity to survive, even though she expects the worst. And, and so when you look at Jacobed's story, you're like, here's a woman who is leaving room for faith. Like I'm, I'm following the law, but I'm going to give my son every possible opportunity to survive. She was leaving room for faith, for possibility, for God. And, and Moses did survive. If, if you know the story, we won't go into it, but Moses does survive, and, and, and he ended up getting to grow up in the home of Pharaoh, the, the king. He, he grows up in the palace. But unlike his mother, when Moses faces times of desperation, he is motivated by fury and fear. 
So we have these two kind of opposing stories here. We have Jochebed who's, who's motiva- motivated in, in, in faith. I think, I think personally, I don't, I don't think she, she, didn't, she knew of God. She didn't know God. And, and so I think she just kind of put Moses in and went like, God, if, if you are there, like I know the stories about you and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how you did the things you did. And maybe you'll do something in this situation. I don't know. And so here's an opportunity for you to work. And then Moses grows up and he, and he gets older and he becomes a, a man and, and he faces times of desperation and he acts in completely the opposite way. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 2 today. Uh, verse 11, I think, is where uh, we're at. Yeah, 11 to 15. After Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were hard at work. So he's left the palace, he's gone out to see wherever The Israelites are being worked by the Egyptians. And he saw an Egyptian beating one of his countrymen. So Moses looked around to see if anyone was watching, and then he killed the Egyptian, and he hid his body in the sand. And when Moses went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and so he went to the man who had started the fight, and he asked, why are you beating up one of your own people? Next one. The man answered, Who put you in charge of us and made you our judge? Are you planning to kill me just like you killed that Egyptian? Well, this frightened Moses because he was sure that people must have found out what had happened. And when the king heard what Moses had done, he wanted to kill him. But Moses escaped and went to the land of Midian. There's a couple things that I think we need to catch here really quickly. Moses clearly knows who he is and who his people are. Right? He, he recognizes that, that he is a Hebrew and that he is connected to the other Hebrew people. We also can assume from these verses that he knows what he's doing and that he probably shouldn't do it. Right? Because verse 11 says, Moses looked around to see if anybody was watching. Now, why do we do that? Why do we look around to see if anybody is watching? Because we don't want them to see what we're about to do. That's what we do. That's what we do. All of us do that. And so he looks around to see if anybody's watching. He doesn't see anyone. And so he goes, okay, I can do this and get away with it. That's how most things start for us, most problems. And then he kills the Egyptian. He did it because he thought he could get away with it. And then look, for, for you and for me, the next time you're, you're thinking about doing something you shouldn't do, if you look around and you think, there's a good chance I'm going to get caught, you're probably not going to do it. Same thing. It's like nothing new, right? Like we still struggle with it. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, and we struggle with the same things that Moses struggles with. It's interesting, though, that this is the very first thing we're told about Moses as a person. When we think about Moses, um, if, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you think about Moses, you think, you think about like the burning bush, you think about him leading the people uh, through the Gulf of Aqaba and the waters are separated. You think of all these great and grand things that God did through Moses. You don't think about the very first introduction that we have of Moses that he's a murderer who tries to get away with things. 
This is kind of the opposite of, of what we would think, right? I mean, his family goes to all of this trouble to protect him and give him every possible opportunity to survive. And she, like, uh, functions out of, out of faith, some level of faith. And then Moses shows up, and he's, like, a completely different person. I'm going to kill this guy because I think I can get away with it. Mm. It, it. It's funny to me. That in not very long in the story, as we move on through Exodus, uh, Moses is going to come down off the mountain of God, and um, he's going to carry some tablets, and on those tablets, it's going to say, don't murder. And that's the very first thing we know about Moses. Well, anyway... Uh, Moses thinks he's gotten away with it. He, he goes back to the palace. He comes out the next day thinking that he'd literally gotten away with murder, only to discover that what he'd done had become known. And then fear sets in. Fear, I think fear because the Hebrew people didn't welcome him as their hero. I kind of think that's That's what he wanted. He thought he would walk out, and if they did find out, they'd go, oh, my goodness, here's this guy that's going to stand up to the Egyptians, and they've heard, God's heard our cry, and he's going to bring us this deliverer from the the palace of Pharaoh himself, and and that doesn't happen. They're scared of him. Are are you going to kill us like you killed the guy yesterday? And, And then Moses recognizes that if the people of Israel know, Pharaoh will eventually know. And if Pharaoh knows... Well, his life is in danger. And so Moses acts, the very first thing we know about Moses as a man is, is that he acts um, out of fury, a- anger. He's, he's angry at what the Egyptian has done to his fellow Hebrew. And, and then he acts out of fear. And you go, what a difference between Jochebed and, and Moses. She in faith gives him every opportunity to survive, only to have Moses then grow up to be motivated by fury and fear so that he felt like he was in a corner, that he had no options. And, and so the result of that is that he flees. He, he leaves. Like the guy who, who should have been able to make changes in the nation and, and, and save the people of Israel takes off with his tail between his legs. So we have this whole nation of Israel in the darkness of slavery. And the guy who seemed like he might be able to to help them and to bring the light to them, now himself is in the darkness of obscurity. He's no longer in the palace of, of Pharaoh. He has run away to hide. And it's like everybody in the story, Moses and the whole nation of Israel just continue in their own darkness. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know what's happening. And then God begins to shine a light. Let's go to the next verses. One day, Moses was taking care of the sheep and the goats of his father-in-law, Jethro. So Moses leaves Egypt. The story picks up like he's sitting by a well. Like He doesn't know what to do with himself. He, he, he thought he was like going to be Pharaoh maybe one day or whatever. He he thought he had his whole life planned out. Everything was great. He knew exactly where he was going and what he was going to do. And all of a sudden, he's sitting out in the desert next to a well. He doesn't know what's going on. Jethro is the priest of Midian. Um, Oh, I didn't finish that story. And and so Moses meets Jethro's daughter, and uh, then he gets invited to his house, and, and that's what's going on. He ended up marrying 
uh, Jethro's daughter. Moses decided to lead the, the sheep across the desert to Sinai, the holy mountain. Now, um, Moses didn't know that Sinai was the holy mountain, but, but the people do. The author does, and so he's writing that. Uh, there, at the holy mountain, an angel of the Lord appeared to him from a burning bush. Moses saw that the bush was on but it wasn't burning, um, and, and he thought, this is strange. So he said to himself, I'll go over and see why the bush isn't burning up. And when the Lord saw Moses coming near, he called him by name from this burning bush. And Moses answered, here I am. And God replied, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. The ground where you are standing is holy. I am the God who was worshipped by your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. And Moses was afraid to look at God, and so he hid his face. Okay, so God gets Moses' attention by showing him something strange, something out of the ordinary. There's a fire in a bush, which I guess that could happen, right? Um, but the bush is not burning up. That's weird. I don't understand it. I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to see what's going on. This doesn't make sense. And, and so um, something caused Moses to wonder about what was happening. H how is this happening? Why is this happening? And then as Moses approaches this bush, God speak to, speaks to him. But it's important to, to catch what God says to Moses. First of all, God calls Moses by name. Moses, stop. Don't, don't come any closer. Moses didn't know who God was, but God absolutely knew who Moses was. And so God warns Moses. He says, look, don't, don't come any, any closer. And he says that because Moses doesn't know the rules. He'd never talked to God. He didn't know God. He, he was minding his own business, tending the sheep of his father-in-law out in the desert. This was not expected. He didn't know what to do. And so God tells him the rules. He, he graciously kind of lays out the expectations instead of just punishing Moses for a mistake. So you got to realize that at the time in, in the world around Moses, all of these nations had multiple gods. And the problem with all of the idols, the false idols and the gods of all the other people is that nobody knew how to follow them, how to worship them. You had to just do something. And if it was wrong, something bad would happen to you. And then you'd go, oh, I guess I better not do that anymore. Right? That's, that's how it worked. You, you kind of um, understood how to follow this God because you saw this other person do something and then die. And you went, well, I don't want that to happen to me. And, and so I better not do what they just did. And so you do something else. That, that's how you followed a God back then. And so the fact that God would speak to Moses and say, look, don't, don't come any closer. Here's the rules. You got to stop. That was something like they didn't understand that. Never heard of that before. God also tells Moses to take off his shoes, his sandals, because where he's standing is, is holy. And, and I don't think we get that really in, in our culture, um, because most of us leave our shoes on uh, all the time, at least normal uh, sane people do. Uh, if, you're, if you're like my wife, you, you come in the house and you immediately like, take your shoes off, which is crazy to me. Uh, I don't understand that. You're just going to have to put them back on. 
Um, and so we have this, you know, little argument uh, thing in our houses. She's always not in shoes, and I'm always wearing shoes, and it's just weird. We don't understand that in our culture, but in the Middle East, shoes, sandals, they're unsanitary, and they're dirty. And so it is incredibly rude to enter a home with your shoes on or, or enter a holy place with your shoes on. You have to take them off before you go in. It's a sign of respect and, and honor. But, but also, I think, what's going on is that God is showing Moses that he has the power to make a dusty desert hill holy. Again, it's, it's unheard of. The holy places were places where um, temples and things were set up and people were at and they cleaned them and they made them nice. And, and so here's just in the middle of the desert. And so God's presence makes the things around his presence holy. And, and Moses, this is his introduction. He's learning these things right off the, the bat. Finally, God lets Moses in on um, like who he is. Like he's not just a God, but he says, I'm the God of your ancestors, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, or, or Israel. Now already, um, Moses knows who is causing the bush to burn and not burn up. So this God that, that is doing this is, is powerful. And then God warns Moses of the rules beforehand, so he knows that this God is kind. He's not just making mistakes and tripping through this, but, but he's going to tell you what he expects. And then he knows that, that this God knows his name. And, and so there's wisdom and understanding there. And then this God is able to, to make places holy just by his presence. And so Moses understands that this God is righteous. Now, over the next few verses, God shows Moses that he is interested in the suffering of, of his people. And he's heard them. He's seen their situation. And, and then his visit with Moses here in the desert is part of his plan to rescue his people from Egypt. And then he informs Moses of his intention, not just to rescue them out of slavery in, in Egypt, but then to restore them to the promised land. He's like, I'm going to take them back home. I'm not just going to rescue them from Egypt. I'm going to take them to a place that's going to be theirs. They're not going to have to worry about being made slaves anymore. They're not going to have to worry about if people are going to leave them or attack them. They're going to be secure, and they're going to be in their own home. And, and then at the end of this kind of, kind of story, in verse 10 of chapter 4, God, like, kind of gives him one more bit of information. He says, you go to Pharaoh because I'm sending you to lead my people. Now, in the rest of, of chapter 4, Moses goes back and forth with God. And he's like, who, me? Yes, you. He's like, not me. And he's like, yes, you. And he's like, no, somebody else. No, you. And so he goes back and forth over and over with, with God. But, but really, this whole scenario and this whole situation, this whole scene with the burning bush is about Moses getting to know God like God knows Moses. And this is how the process goes for you and me as well. Every one of us starts our lives out in darkness. 
And we don't know we're in darkness. We don't understand it as darkness because we've not ever known anything else. And so we think this is just life and this is just the way it goes and everything's great and, and I'm just going to just keep going just like Moses was in the land of Midian. He's like, well, I'm, I'm here and I'm at the well and there's a woman and so I guess we'll get married and we'll go do whatever. Whatever comes is going to come. And we just kind of move through life and life kind of happens to us and we, we kind of react to those things and we just go, oh, I guess this is just what we do. And, and, and so we're in the darkness, but often we don't realize that, that it's the, the dark. Maybe there are, were things in, in, in your life um, that you took up, that you started doing in, in your life because, um, because it offered you some feeling of salvation. And, and maybe you didn't call it salvation you, you called it you, you know it, it was it was help or it was it was comfort or um, it was a vice or, or whatever but but something that you reached out to in your life something that you began to do because you were trying to escape whatever else was going on and and so um, maybe there was a relationship that you got into at some point in in your life um, and you got into that relationship because you were trying to forget about something that happened in your childhood. And, and you thought this was going to make it better. Um, and, and you said, well, okay, this must be love. And so I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to go after this. And, and maybe you did um, kind of feel some love at, at first. You didn't know what it was and, and, and you liked it. It made you kind of forget the, the past. But eventually that relationship that love became controlling or toxic and, and, and it wasn't what you thought it was or maybe um, for you it wasn't a relationship but it was drugs or alcohol or sex things that you use just to kind of numb out to the pain and and, and when I'm high or when I'm drunk or when I'm with some somebody on another night I just I don't I forget about that stuff for a little bit and I don't have to deal with it. Or maybe, maybe you started um, stealing things or uh, breaking other laws because for at least in that brief moment, you, you kind of felt free. You kind of felt alive. Maybe you beat her up. Or maybe you called him names. Maybe you tried to control someone else because you wanted to feel what it was like to finally be in control yourself. You know, all the things that um, keep us in the darkness, it, it seems like they always start out looking a lot like light. There's a passage in Scripture that's, that says that um, Satan can appear like an angel of light. And he fools us. And so we think that these, that these things, these vices, these relationships, this, this stuff, we, we, we feel like that, that gives us life or that gets us out of the situations. We feel like these things are our saviors, but eventually they become our slave masters. And the things that we went to for salvation soon control us and we can't get away from them and we feel stuck. We don't know what to do. Look, any time and every time you try to find salvation in anything but the Savior, 
you end up as a slave. Anytime and every time you try to find salvation in anything but the Savior, you're going to end up as a slave. And as a slave, you feel like you have no control, that everything happens to you. And, and as those things happen to you, it leaves you with only one choice or one option, right? How often have you felt in, in your life, this is what I have to do because I cannot see any other way? And, and I think we have Jacobed, Moses' mom, and, and, and we have Moses. And in that situation, this desperate situation where she couldn't see any other way, she gave her son every opportunity to survive. She, she left the door open for God to do something. In a moment where she was risking her, like she was risking her life and the life of her family. And then, and then we have Moses in that same desperate situation. What do I do? And then he responds completely differently. And he acts out of fury or fear in, instead of faith. And, and there have been times in my life where, where I've done that. I've gotten to a place where, see, God, I don't see any way out of this except for this way that I think is the only way. I have no choice except to do this. And that always leads me to more darkness and less light. I think the thing that we need to remember is that God in those moments has not left you. Just like he didn't leave Israel and he didn't leave Moses. God doesn't turn his back because we make a mistake. God didn't turn his back on us because we, once again we're doing that thing that we said we weren't going to do anymore. Like regardless of your circumstances, God is always involved in your situation. And he's just waiting for an opportunity to act and to work, but you've got to give that to him. You've got to recognize first that God is trying to get your attention. And, and it might not be with a burning bush on the side of the road. Like, I don't know anybody who's seen that. And, and so maybe that was just a thing um, for Moses. But I guarantee you, he has shown up in your life at different times and in different ways. Perhaps it was a conversation with, with a friend or somebody you didn't know before who, who just kind of shows up in your life and, and, and maybe you just meet them somewhere crazy and they say something that just sticks with you. Maybe God showed up in, in, um, in that run-in with the police and you thought it was terrible and you were mad at God for letting you get caught, <laughs> which I never understand that. <laughs> well, why are we mad at police officers for pulling us over when we're speeding? You were speeding. That's what's supposed to happen. Expect it. Be happy about it. Or don't speed. You, you, have, you have a choice. Whatever. <laughs> Maybe it was the Bible on the nightstand. Maybe it even was God allowing you not to get caught in that situation so that you would be available for another. Or maybe God let you hit rock bottom. And I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you make your own choices and make your own bed and do your, do your own thing, but I'm going to be here. God is reaching out to you, but you have got to notice him. And when you do, he won't expect you to know everything, just like in his introduction with, 
with Moses. He'll tell you just what you need to know when you need to know it. He'll share himself a little bit at a time so that you learn to trust him as you begin to follow him. And just like Moses, you're not going to get it all right. But God has proven over and over again that he is kind and compassionate and he cares about you. And so I think the question today is this, where are you in the Moses story? Um, Are you still in the dark, like making stupid choices because you think they're the only choice available to you, and so you just kind of keep doing the same thing and then being mad about where you end up? (laughs) Or are you like making room for God in in your life, for God to be involved? Maybe you're at this place, and maybe you're here this morning because you're letting faith breathe a little bit in your life so that you can maybe be able to see what God does. And maybe you came here today because you're like, God, I'm going to give you a chance and we're going to see what happens. Have you noticed God trying to get your attention? Maybe this last week. And and, and then then I think, are, are you ignoring that? Or are you kind of checking it out (laughs) are are you ignoring the burning bush and there's that thing that keeps popping up and you're like yeah like I noticed that um, but I don't I'm I'm not going to pay attention to it or or are you like noticing that thing that keeps popping up and then you're like maybe I should check that out and see see what's going on or maybe you've already like tuned into God and maybe you're here today because you like recognize those things and you're like maybe I ought to get my butt to church (laughs) see what's going on try to learn from him author Bill Holt says it um, this way he says follow Jesus and he'll teach you everything you'll ever need to know and and I I think that's pretty good (laughs) If you're trying to follow a God you don't know, I, I, I want you to, like, just, like, don't worry. Because <laughs> everybody around you was at one point in the same boat. Like, we've all, we've all been there. Like, there. There was a point where we kind of stepped out of the darkness and into the light, and we had to learn how to function once the lights are on, because it's a completely different life. There are things that you see when the light is there that... <laughs> You can't in the darkness, and there are mistakes that you go, oh, man, why did I keep going that way? That was really dumb, and now I can see where to go, and it's completely different. And God doesn't leave us alone just to figure it out on our own. He's revealed himself through his word, the Bible. He tells us what it is that he wants and what he expects and how we can follow him and be his disciple, and he, and he sent his son to the earth to show us how to live with him as our king. And then when he went back to be with the Father, he left the Spirit to work in us and through us to help us because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. And and he's given us a church, a family of people to come alongside and, and help us know the way we should go. And so if you're willing to look... If you're willing to look 
at, at what God is doing and how he's trying to interrupt your life, then you are chosen to learn what it means to be a disciple, what it means to, to follow him, what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and, 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 and thank you for not leaving us on our own just like you didn't leave the Israelites and Moses. You, you bring us along. You introduce yourself a little bit at a, at a time, just looking for some opportunity to, to get involved in our lives when we open ourselves up to you. And, and so, God, I thank you for those who are here today who are joining us online because they've given a little space to faith. And my prayer today is that you would fill that space, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would give us what we need at the time, but that you would give us a little more, that you would stretch us and grow us and help us to follow, help us to learn how to be your disciples, how to follow you as, as king. And then God, you didn't just like go, okay, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and now do everything I want you to. You gave us your spirit to give us the power and strength that we need to do the things that you've called us to do. And you gave us your son as an example. And you paid our price and you cleared the way for us. And so God, help us to see the burning bushes that you have placed in our lives. And not just to see them, but to investigate them. And then in those moments to encounter you and then to know you. So God, as we continue on this um, journey out of darkness with the Israelites, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are attuned to you and feet that are willing to follow into the desert and the unknown and the wilderness of this crazy world because we know that you are with us. And so thank you for that, God, and for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. The Israelites were God's people, but they didn't know how to follow him. And so through their journey out of slavery in Egypt, they learned who God was. They learned that they could trust him. And, and through Jesus, every person has been adopted into God's forever family, like Easton was, was talking about. But, but look, the reality is most of us don't know how to, to follow him. How, how do you follow a God you don't know? And so we're going to keep uncovering that as we move on in this series. I hope that you'll join me. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Love you. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.